Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, welcoming in Columbus Business School professor and the author of Every Shot Counts, Mr. Mark Brody. Mark, I was going through our uh, direct messages. I had first contacted you to come on the podcast about four years ago and somehow <laughs> crim- criminally never followed up on that. But welcome, and we're finally making this happen. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Chris. It's, it's a pleasure after all these years. Uh, no, looking forward to uh, one. I think uh, I've learned a lot. Um, and for the record, I want to before I say it, uh, this is not a book promotion. You did not ask to come on to promote your book, but I read your book uh, Every Shot Counts several years ago, and it changed the way that I thought about golf and uh, followed your work uh, a lot cl- very closely after that. So I've always looked forward to to talking stats with you, and I think listeners to this will understand. Maybe uh, you know some I would say don't know at all what strokes gained is, uh, but I think some understand it roughly and even talking to some of the other no laying up guys before we started recording they're like yeah i want to learn about this i need to know about this so i think people are going to learn quite a bit but i'm sure you've told the story many times but first i want to get kind of an understanding of what your background was and how you ended up uh kind of revolutionizing the way golf is analyzed from a statistical standpoint well i got into this uh you know many many years ago now some people you mentioned you mentioned the book think that Oh, I decided to write a book, and a year later, a book is published, and that's not at all what what happened. I started, uh, you know, playing golf when I was a, a teenager, and so it's been sort of a personal passion of mine. And then I, you know, became an academic, and I, I teach and do research at uh, Columbia Business School in 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 New York, and so my professional passion is is analytics. And then I said, well, you know, I can put these two together because there's there's so many unanswered questions in in the game of golf and so I got to combine my personal and professional passions in doing golf analytics and uh, the questions I originally uh, sought to answer were things like what's what's the difference between a golfer whose average score is 90 and a golfer whose average score is 80 where where do those 10 strokes come from or you could say the same about a scratch golfer and a touring professional. Where where do those you know strokes come from? And it's not at all obvious that uh, where they come from, in part because traditional stats just don't have a, a hope of answering questions like that. If you count, you know, fairways hit or greens hit, greens in regulation or, or putts, there's just no way you can uh, you know, decode what what's really going on in the game of golf. So that that was the original uh, intent, and I started this way back in, you know, two thousand and two thousand and one. Did you? I mean, I kind of looked to, and I was a kind of a big proponent. Uh, I used to be a much bigger baseball fan than I currently am, but was a big fan of sabermetrics in baseball and kind of bucking the trends of using batting average, home runs, RBIs. And as always, I think with golf, things just always tend to lag behind other sports. Was there any kind of motivation from seeing statistical trends uh, or kind of more more robust statistical analysis in other sports that led you to to, to wonder like our golf statistics? that we currently use the best ones no that that really wasn't wasn't the motivation uh at all but i think you know it's very different because baseball being a team sport and having a much longer history of of baseball stats and and golf being an individual 
uh, sport and and sort of being in the in the dark ages in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of the stats. But there are a lot of a lot of parallels, and I'm fortunate enough to be an academic, and I now teach uh, elective course on sports analytics. And I spend most of the time on the major sports, baseball, basketball, football. And there's a lot of parallels between uh, the analytics you can do in those sports and what goes on in, in golf. And it was sort of surprising to me that that strokes gain basically has parallels or analogs in all the other sports. Was there was there, when you start set out to do to kind of start the analysis, were you kind of aware that I guess, did you already kind of know what you were going to discover or were you thinking like, all right, I've realized that, you know, putting is overrated, blah, blah, blah. I just need to prove it. Or was it kind of a revelation once you started uh, gathering all this data, uh, what you ended up discovering? Oh, it, it was definitely a, rev a revelation. I didn't start with a question like how, how important is putting? I started with a question, where are these 10 strokes between a 90 golfer and, and an 80 golfer? Or... You know, put another way, uh, if if I gave you a magic club where you could hit, you know, your drives 20 yards further, what would happen to your score? So those are the kinds of questions I was I was trying to answer. And to answer those questions, you needed number one data, and there just wasn't any data out there. This is again around 2000 2001 to to answer these questions. It was before. Uh, the shot link system on the PGA Tour. It was before GPS had, you know, all these uh, commercial applications. So it's before, you know, Game Golf and Arcos and, and and a bunch of others. And so the the first step was really, how do I how do I get data in this case for for amateur golfers? And uh, like many people before me said, well, I'll start collecting data and put it into an Excel spreadsheet and you know, quickly as in, <laughs> in an hour or so realized that that's, uh, not really, uh, the way, the way to go. And so spend a couple of years building, uh, a desktop program called golf metrics to be able to have amateurs collect data, which, which ended up looking almost identical to the shot link data that the PGA tour started to collect in, in 2003. So the first you know, the first were these questions and then were, was the data. It was only after starting to analyze the data, I said, well, now that I've got all this data, how do, how exactly do we answer the questions? And it was only after that, that, that some of the, uh, the insights about, you know, the importance of putting and approach shots and other things came out. So that, that was uh, a surprise. What would you say was the most noteworthy thing you learned once you had accumulated all the data? that the the findings the insights the results were very consistent across a wide range of golfer groups so if you take a look at the difference between a high handicapper and a middle handicapper a middle handicapper a low handicapper between average tour pros and the best tour pros the same sorts of of results hold namely that uh, about 65 percent of the scoring differences occur from shots outside 100 yards and about 35% from shots within 100 yards of the hole. And so, you know, 10 strokes, if you want to go from a typical 90 golfer to a typical 80 golfer, about six and a half of those 10 shots come from uh, being better off the tee and outside 100 yards. And about three and a half of those strokes come from, you know, being better inside 100 yards, including putting. 
So what's something that you've heard on television over the years, or especially after doing all your research, you hear now and just cringe as just something that's just flat out not true? Um, so <laughs> there's that, a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a lot. This is maybe not related to my research, but you hear that uh, you know touring pros swing at eighty percent. Uh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> you see how far they hit it They're They're not swinging at 80%. I think what you see is great rhythm and, and balance. And so it looks like it's effortless, but they're swinging really hard and really fast. Um, there's, there's a lot of others that, uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, you just sort of shake shake your head out. So they'll say a player is 19 out of 20 on putts inside of 10 feet at the the tournament this mm-hmm. week, and that could be factually correct. So it's not like shaking my head like they're they're saying something that's wrong. But the implication is that this player is now standing over a nine foot putt, and the implication mm-hmm. is that they have a 95 percent chance of sinking it, which is way far from the truth, because most of those putts inside of 10 feet are actually inside of three feet. So it, it's sort of just a meaningless waste of airtime uh, to talk about, you know, how many putts have they sunk inside of uh, 10 feet. It would actually be better to talk about how many putts did they sink between five and 10 feet than, you know, inside of 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Now, to your first point, I remember the first time I ever saw Ernie Els swing a club in person. I was a kid. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you could hear the club in the transition phase. You could hear the wind that came <laughs> off the club face for how hard he swung it, but and it, he makes it look so effortless. So I've, I've, I'm glad to hear you say that. And secondly, yeah, the, the point on your putting, I, every time I see that stat, it does kind of jar you, and I get why they pop it up there. You know, Especially, I think somebody had one the other week that they were 54 of 54 inside of 10 feet. Um, but another one that gets me is I never, I never know what a good number is, but when somebody tells you how many feet of putts you've made over the course of the day, does that stat mean anything to you? Uh, no, other than, you know, larger is, is better. Um, (laughs) yeah, uh, but you could have made 150 foot putt, it skews everything, but yeah, that, that one always confuses me, but, um, it also kind of, uh, I guess I'll ask it in the form of a question in that. Uh, if you could sum up when, when Tiger Woods was dominating the PGA Tour, if you could summarize how he went about doing that or the, the leading factor that went into his domination of the PGA Tour, what would you say that was? That's, that's an easy one. He dominated with his approach shots. And that's a surprise to most people, but if you think about the traditional golf stats, that's the hardest part of the game to measure. There is no one of the traditional golf stats that, you know, directly measures approach shots, approach play. The closest might be greens and regulation. And there's many flaws with greens and regulation, but you know, that includes drives and, and approach shots. And there's other, other flaws with that, that we could, we could talk about. But, uh, one of the misconceptions about Tiger Woods is that Tiger Woods was a great putter. And so people say, yeah, he was a great putter. That must be the reason you know, he won so many majors and so many tournaments. And that's true. He was a great putter, but he gained more than twice as many strokes from his approach shots as from his putts. So there's, there's not an inconsistency there that putting was really uh, not the key to his, his, his performance. It was approach shots, but he was really good at the short game. He was actually, for most of his career, uh, a really good driver. And that's why he's sort of Tiger Woods as opposed to, you know, Ernie Els or 
Phil Mickelson or some other great players that, uh, that, that Tiger Woods was great at everything. But the one part of his game that really stood out was, was his approach shots. And one way to, to phrase that, that, uh, I, I often talk about in uh, you know in seminars or talks is that if he was an Tiger Woods was an average driver had an average short game and was an average putter and you just let him have his superior approach shots he would be in the top ten in the world. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I you hear it almost more these days. Maybe maybe not as much in the last year, but in the last five years, people say. Oh, Tiger, he just can't putt like he used to. That's what's really holding him back currently when I think in reality it's he doesn't have nearly the same advantage over the other players from tee to green. Is that something you would agree with? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that uh, 100%. And even in his most recent comeback where he's been you know, playing, playing great and you know, doing very well at, uh, uh, at, at Bay Hill and almost winning at Valspar and, and others – the, uh, the, the, you know, he's been putting, putting really well. And one of the things that's been holding him back is his approach shots. And not that they're not good. His approach shots, I had him rank something like uh, 25th in the, the 2018 season, but he's not like number one, like he used to be. If you went back from 2003 to 2013, he was in the top five in strokes gained from approach shots every single year with most of those years ranked number one. And, you know, one year he's ranked fifth and a couple of years he was ranked fourth and almost all the other years he was ranked one. And, uh, he was just phenomenal with his approaches to give you an example, the leaders in approach shots for a typical year might be at, you know, 1.3 strokes gained per round. And there is a number of years where, uh, Tiger was at two, two strokes <laughs> per round. <laughs> and it's like, wow. I mean, you're, he's already eight strokes ahead in the tournament, you know, before, <laughs> That's before everybody else te tees it up. So why did he win so much? Well, to win, you need to get to about, you know, three and a half or 3.7 strokes gained per round. And he, he was getting two just from his pro shots and you throw in that he was a good putter or great putter. And then you add the other stuff and, you know, he was he was winning at you know thirty forty percent win rate in uh, in certain seasons. I can only imagine the 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 depth of the at which your tiger amazing tiger stats go, but that's that's fantastic. All right, Tron, a quick break. Uh, we announced this past week that we're going to be playing in the BMW Charity Pro Am in Greenville, South Carolina, in May against each other. Why don't you fill us in a little bit on the details? Yeah, we've got all the details on the website, but just for your edification, uh, Callaway giving a away a ton of prizes, uh, Rogue drivers. Rogue three woods, putters, wedges, balls, irons, everything. Yeah. So we will announce the official prizes eventually. What are you going to be playing with? We have, we we meaning to do a what's in the bag, and we haven't done it yet. What are you going to be playing with next week, next month? The big addition to the bag lately has been this new XO putter. It's got me a little nervous. <laughs> You're scared. You yeah. rolled it a little bit better last night. We're not yeah. going to say our scores from last night, but what I, else you got? I'll be honest. I shot 84. Okay, I, I, I shot, already posted it. I shot 86. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the Rogue's been awesome. Uh, I'm still playing the Apex Pros. I think I'm going to put the, the X-Forged in the bag. Though. That's that's the current dilemma I'm under. I love the Apex Pros, but I've got the X-Forged, and it's just too tempting. They're sitting over there, but... Uh, we're going to, we're going to do more what's in the bag stuff in the future, but wanted to, want to update you guys on the prizes and stuff and big shout out to Callaway for helping chip in with, uh, with the charity giveaway. So check that out. The details on our website. Now let's get back to Mark Brody. 
Uh, so I want to get into kind of strokes gained. It's something obviously you've talked a ton about, um, and we'll get into some of the nitty gritty details. Uh, but first, I, I want to know, so, so stats like driving accuracy and greens and regulation, I feel like five years ago or so, even up to then, they were still being used, but they're kind of becoming extinct, which I'd like to see. But can you explain to us why stats like driving accuracy and greens and regulation are not very useful? Sure. There, there are so many flaws, and I'll, I'll try and give you a, a brief answer. But hmm. number one flaw is units, that it's very hard to measure driving distance, which is in yards, versus putting, which is in strokes, versus hitting fairways, which is just you hit a fairway, you don't. They're not in the right units, and uh, that makes these kind of things incomparable. How do you compare a player who drives it 10 yards further with another player who hits 50% of his fairways versus 60%? It's, it's very hard to, to compare when you have different units. So another thing that's wrong is that greens and regulation and driving accuracy are these counting stats. You either hit a green in regulation or you don't. You either hit a fairway in uh, on your tee shot or you don't. They don't distinguish between big misses and little misses. So if you miss the fairway into the you know the fringe of the fairway, the first the first cut, then that's not a big penalty. You're in you're in the rough. That's a bigger penalty. You're in the woods. That should be a bigger penalty. You put it in the water. That should be a bigger penalty. You put it out of bounds. That should be an even bigger penalty. And strokes gain takes all of that into account. Whereas driving accuracy is just you hit the fairway or you didn't. It's the same thing with greens and regulation. You can hit a green. And it counts, but you don't get extra credit hitting it five feet from the from the pin versus 20 feet from the pin. And if you miss a green, well, every missed green counts as zero. They count the same. But if you miss on the fringe versus missing in the sand versus missing in the water, those are really different misses that all count as a missed green in regulation. So another flaw of traditional stats is they're just uh, zero one kind of things, and they don't take into account these fractional uh, differences in shots, which are really important. And the third thing is there's no adjustment for what is the field doing versus, you know, playing at one course versus another. So to give you to give you one example, the the average driving distance at say TPC Scottsdale might be 300 yards, and the average distance uh, a week or so ago at at Harbor Town was 275 yards. So if you don't measure things relative to the field, a player that plays at Harbortown is going to look like he's 25 yards shorter than somebody else that plays at TPC Scottsdale, even though the player hasn't changed their driving distance at all. Just, you know, the, the driving distance stat shouldn't be fooled by which course you played. So that's just a few of the flaws. Is that, uh, does that that's give you some, enough? That sums it up. Yeah, yeah, that sums it up pretty perfectly. Just saying that, I wonder how badly DJ's driving distance took a hit by playing the Heritage this 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 last week. But um, well, his 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 driving distance took a hit. But if you measure it relative to the field, it was quite interesting. Right at Kapalua, he was twenty five yards longer than average, and at Harbortown. He was 20 yards longer than average. <laughs> wow. So if you measure things relative to the field, you get a much better picture. And I was really curious. You got Dustin Johnson playing at Harbortown. What's, what is going to happen? And yeah, he was a lot shorter than, than his usual, but he still, you know, hit it further and, you know, hit it, hit it out there 20 yards further than the field average at Harbortown. 
Yeah, we didn't dis- even discuss the, the flaw in the driving distance stat, but I think that one's so flawed we don't even need to discuss. But I can't, uh, I can't imagine how many times you have tried to explain this over the years, and uh, it does make sense to me, but in your, in your best way to somebody that doesn't know what strokes gained is, uh, how would you explain it to them? So if you have a tough par four where the stroke average is 4.2, then a par in the hole is a good score. You're, you're beating the field, but you're beating the field by two-tenths of a stroke. So if you compare the, the field average, 4.2, with the player's score, in this case a four, then the player is gaining two-tenths of a stroke. That's basically what strokes gain does, is it measures performance relative to the field. And then the question is, well, how do you break that break that down further into each each stroke and it's the same idea which is you want to measure the quality of a shot relative to an average tour player shot from that particular spot or from that condition so let's take putting to start with if a tour player has a 30 foot putt what would the field do what would be an average performance on a 30 foot putt and the the answer would be they'd get down in about two strokes Uh, The PGA Tour average from 30 feet is two. So if you sink a 30-footer, you're doing one better than the field average. And if you take two putts, you're even. And if you take three putts, you lose a stroke. So that's sort of the simplest way to measure putting is not just by counting putts, but by measuring it relative to what, you know, the average tour pro would do. And so that sounds like it's the same as sort of counting putts, but where it gets interesting is when you take a look at other distances. So uh, the other easy one to talk about is uh, putting from eight feet. So from eight feet, tour pros have a 50% one putt rate and a 50% two putt rate. So they average one and a half putts from, from eight feet. So if a tour pro sinks an eight footer, they take one versus the average of one and a half, they'll gain a half a stroke on the field. And if they take two putts from eight feet, they'll lose a half a stroke on the field. So every shot can be measured relative to what an average PGA Tour player would do from, from that situation. And all strokes gain does is it adds up those fractional gains and losses over every shot to come up with how many they gain or lose on the hole and then how much they gain or lose on the round. And now you've got a nice breakdown if a player beat the field by 2.7 strokes in a round, then where did they gain or lose? And you can you can uh, you know follow it all the way down to each each individual shot. But at an intuitive level, if you see a great shot on TV or at a at a tournament, it's going to have positive strokes gained. And if you see a poor shot, it's going to have negative strokes gained. And all strokes gained does it's sort of quantifies that in in terms of fractional gains and losses relative to an average tour player i think we can approach it two ways we can start at the hole and work backwards and work from the t to the hole but i think in reading your book the, the one of the biggest things i took away from was that i was placing way too much blame on my putting for my poor scoring and that the finality of you know having an eight foot putt for a par and when i miss it i say I just cost myself a stroke by missing that putt without factoring in the fact that, you know, only, you know, a tour pro makes this putt 50% of the time. And so there's going to be some variance. If I keep leaving myself eight foot par putts, 
maybe I'm doing something along the way that is not setting myself up. So in my mind, I had set out that I was just a terrible putter and it kind of opened my eyes like, no, I, I'm not a terrible putter. Like I hit eight greens today and I left myself a bunch of eight and 10 footers. And so I hear people say like, oh, you know, you should spend the most money on a putter. It's the club you're going to use the most throughout the round. What, explain to me why that's a bad way of thinking. Um, so one of the uh, European tour pros that I've been friends with for, for a long time is uh, Eduardo Molinari. And you might also know his brother, Francesco Molinari, who's now playing on the, on the PGA Tour. But Eduardo said this, if I had a contest with an amateur and we could choose between having a nine-hole putting contest or we could hit nine tee shots on a 200-yard par three, who do you think would win? And, and the answer is, Eduardo Molinari is going to kill most any amateur hitting 200-yard approach shots to a hole. He's going to hit the green more often. He's going to get closer to the hole. A nine-hole putting contest, an amateur would have a chance, even against a tour pro. Uh, it may only be a 25 or 30% chance, but an amateur would have a chance of winning a nine-hole putting contest with a tour pro. An amateur would have no chance at winning sort of uh, a nine-hole approach shot contest with with a tour pro from from 200 yards the differences are just you know dramatic from 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 that range the uh the the differences in in skill levels it's a good way to think of it and it also just goes goes towards the handicap system right the longer the hole typically the more the lower the handicap number essentially saying this is going to be easier for a, a high a low handicapper and harder for a high handicapper um, digging in a little bit more on putting. So let's say we have this eight foot putt that is essentially a one and a half average 50, 50 that a tour pro will make it. Does it, does your data give any information on whether that is pretty consistent for a downhill or uphill putt? And, and, and also like the data that we see from the PGA tour, if we, you know, do, is it factoring in the slope of a putt, the break of a putt into the likelihood that somebody will make it, which will ultimately affect their strokes gain putting? So this is a sort of a uh, an esoteric distinction, but I think of strokes gained as performance relative to a benchmark. And so that's the, the theoretical concept. And then you can implement that in a number of different ways. And in the implementation we worked with with the PGA Tour, all eight-foot putts are equal, and the average that goes into that is one and a half, as we, as we talked about. But there's, there's no reason that you can't be more accurate in creating the benchmark than, than that. And I've, and I've done this analysis before, and it is true that on the steepest, fast greens, that there's a big difference between an 8-foot downhill putt and an 8-foot uphill putt. And so there may be a 20% difference in make rates. So, for example, uh, an uphill 8-footer pros make... 55% of those and a downhill just 35%. So there's a 20% difference in those make rates between uphill and downhill putts. But those are only on the steepest greens, which are less than 5% of greens are, are that steep. On more typical slopes that you see where holes are cut on, on the PGA Tour, the difference in uphill and downhill make rates on eight-foot putts is about 7%. So They'll make 54% of uphill putts and maybe 47% of downhill putts. And so the amount that you're missing, if you sort of ignore the, the uphill-downhill difference, is just a fraction of a, of a stroke. It's, you know, point 
03 or something at uh, 3.5 or whatever. It's it's really, really a minor difference. So I think of counting putts as being sort of very crude and doesn't give you a good ranking or a good measure of putting performance. Strokes gain putting, when you just look at the distance of the putt, gets you 90 or 95% of the way there. But you're absolutely right that you could do even better and get to, you know, 98 or 99% accuracy by, by factoring in, uh, you know, the slope uh, at the hole and exactly how difficult the putt is, taking into account more than just the distance. Would you say for an amateur golfer that it's more important to get the ball close to the hole than it is to leave it, uh, leave yourself an uphill putt? I know it's a broad question and there's distance has got to be factored in, but is there a major difference in leaving yourself a putt that breaks or, you know, an eight hill, eight footer straight up the hill? Uh, absolutely. I think the, the evidence says that it's better to end up closer to the hole than leave yourself an uphill putt. What, you know, one way to think about that is if you, if you take this, this shot pattern of, of your putts and if you're, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet away, you pretty much want to have that centered around the hole so that you have as many one, two, and three footers as possible. So you want to, it's like throwing a dart at, uh, at a dartboard. You want to center it around, around the bullseye uh, to give you know, the most chance of it going in or hitting the bullseye, but also to leave yourself the shortest, the shortest second putt. If you aim to leave yourself, if your goal is to leave yourself with a, a second putt that's that's uphill, instead of having one, two, and three footers left, you're going to have three, four, and five footers left. And yeah, though that five foot uphill putt is easier than a five foot downhill putt, but it's always easier to have a, a two foot side hill putt or a two foot downhill putt than it is to have a five foot uphill putt. And, you know, so... There is a big difference between uphill and downhill, but there's an even big difference between three-footers and five-footers. And that's why you want to sort of in your, your, your longer putt strategy, try and uh, you know, center it around the hole rather than try and leave yourself an uphill putt. I was, I don't, I'm not really sure I have a question with this, but I was just surprised to, to see in the data and looking at the charts within the book that uh, how fast the drop-off of the make percentage goes, even for professionals, once you get outside like that 12-foot range uh, and just how, how, how small the make percentages are on putts, even for pros in that range, kind of was an eye-opener for me And that, you know, I always wonder why I don't make more birdies, and it's probably because I'm not hitting the ball close enough to the hole. As easy as that sounds, an amateur just isn't going to run in that many 15- to 20-foot putts over the course of a round. Yeah, and one of the, the ways I try and, try and demonstrate that is by, by asking a, a question which is, which is in the book, which is in a, a four-round tournament, so you take players that, you know, that make the cut, they play four rounds, how many putts over 21 feet do they sink on average? And I'll ask, you know, plenty of people, listen, you read the book, so you probably know the answer, but so how many putts over 21 feet in a four-round tournament does a PGA Tour Pro sink? The average is 1.4 in four rounds, which is tiny. And most people will guess four or five, six, seven, eight. They, they think they sink a boatload of, of putts in, in, in four rounds over, over 21 feet. And the main reason for this is the make rate from 20 feet is just 15%, and it goes down after that. And then you say, yeah, but, you know, when I'm looking at, at the leaders, I'm looking at the winners, you know, they're, they're making a lot more. And it's true that, 
winners make more putts than, you know, average tour pros. And when they win, they tend to be hitting their approach shots closer and sinking more of those putts. Do you know how many putts winners make in the week that they win? So four rounds over 21 feet. Any guesses on that one? I would say three. Three. That's a good guess. 2.4. Oh, my God. <laughs> one so, stroke, essentially, that came yeah, there. Less than, less than one per round. That's 2.4 putts sunk over 21 feet by the winners in four rounds. So it's less than one around. Uh, so, you know, winners win by putting better, for sure. But it's not usually by, by sinking long ones. It's by sinking a lot more of the, the shorter ones. Hmm. Well, with all this conversation around, you know, putting percentages from distances and whatnot, I, kind of a broad question here, but what do you make of Jordan Spieth overall as a putter? Well, first of all, he's a great putter and he is especially good as, uh, when, when you look at his stats from sort of the, uh, the, the 10 to 20 foot range or the 15 to 25 foot range. So it is, uh, absolutely uh, true that, uh, he is a good putter, great putter. And other than this year, um, he gains, uh, mo most of his game gains come from, uh, this, uh, 10 to 25 foot range or 15 to 25 foot range, which is just really, really remarkable. So I, I just find it you know, when people are saying he's such a great putter, but his his actual his make percentage from like the key putting range between four and eight feet is actually a little bit more suspect. So I just was I find his his kind of relationship with putting kind of perplexing in that the closer he gets, he's actually not essentially one of the best on tour. But the further away he gets, he pretty much is the best on tour. And so many narratives get driven on the, on the broadcast saying he's the best putter in the world and. I just think the data kind of supports it, supports a lot of other people in front of him, especially this year. This year has been kind of a, a come down year for him on, on putting, but uh, was just kind of curious on on your thoughts on how he's his skills vary uh, from you know distances close and far. So there's so one data point and then one one misconception. So um, I have him in in the last few few years gaining about a quarter to almost a half a stroke in putts from seven to 21 feet, which, you know, ranks him in inside the top 10. Whereas in 2018, he's losing almost a third of a stroke from seven to 21 feet, putting him, you know, ranked 195th so far. Or another way you could say from last year to this year, he's losing, uh, he's a half stroke worse in that, in that range, uh, compared to last year, which is a lot for a tour professional to be a half stroke worse in sort of this this mid-range uh, of, of putts. But what I think is a misconception about this, it's not at all the case that Jordan Spieth would rather have a 15-foot putt than an 8-foot putt. Right. Jordan Spieth is so much better. <laughs> you know, even as an average putter from 8 feet, he's going to sink a lot more putts from 8 feet than as a great putter from, from 15 feet. So... I think it gets it gets overplayed. Yeah, it it's not like when Jordan Spieth is out in the fairway, 200 yards away, that he's saying, "Gosh, I hope I don't knock this to eight feet. I'd rather be at 15." That's absurd. But that is literally what is implied by you know much of the uh, commentary you hear on on broadcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just find the the data, but like the, the difference between a six and eight foot putt 
is just so critical for almost all players that they make. You know, Jordan makes 80% of his putts from six feet this year, and that's ranked 31st. And from eight feet, he makes 47%, which is 133rd. I'm sure there's there's not enough data there really to to fully explain that, but just the value in that. And when you're when you're within that 10 feet, there's a lot of variables even within that uh, that drive home how how fast you're going to get the ball in the hole. Uh, I'm curious. Um, if a professional has the same distance putt, does it matter statistically if it's for par or for birdie when factoring in the likelihood that they'll make it? Yeah, this is sort of a, a subtle point to, to answer this question. And the answer is, yes, it's, there's a statistically significant difference between par and birdie putts, but practically significant, no. And so when you, when you go through the, the analysis and, and the data, tour pros are better uh, all, all things being equal at, at par putts than birdie putts, but it's only a tiny bit. It's less than a tenth of a stroke uh, uh, per round. And I think what is both statistically and practically significant is the difference in make rates between first putts and second putts. And what I mean by that, if, if you're out in the fairway and you knock it onto the green five feet away, that's a five-foot first putt. Whereas if you're... 25 feet away and you putt it to five feet, that's going to be a five foot second putt. And the difference in make rates between uh, first putts and second putts of the same distance is huge. And that's true for PGA Tour pros and it's also true for most amateurs. But, you know, the takeaway from this is that amateurs should always watch their first putt. You know, how is it traveling when it gets to the hole? How is it traveling when it goes by the hole? And also watch their playing partners uh, on, on the green because you get a lot of information about how fast the green is and what the slope is, especially around the hole, by watching the putts. And it's that's incredibly significant where par putts versus birdie putts doesn't make that much of a difference. Hmm. So you're saying your second putt on a green from five feet is more likely to go in than your first putt on the green from five feet? Absolutely. A lot okay. more, a lot hmm. more likely. And that's even that way. That's even controlling for uphill and downhill and, and those kind of differences. So, so all taking all this data on putting, what's the best, if you want to translate this for people listening at home, they want to take something to the course with them. What's the overall lesson you would give people based on, uh, based on all of your data and research on putting that, uh, that might help an amateur? Well, the first thing is, you know, where are you going to practice? And I would say if I don't have any information about a particular player, the general advice is to work on your short putts. And by short putts, I'd say three to 10 feet. And that literally means also three footers. There's a significant difference in tour pros at the three foot range. There's an even bigger difference in amateurs at the three foot range that typically, you know, a scratch golfer from three feet is going to be a lot better than a 90 golfer from, from three feet. So you want to work number one on, on the short putts, three to 10 feet, not to the exclusion of mid range and, and longer putts, but the biggest bang for the buck is by improving your short putts. And there's two reasons for that. Why, why is there such a potential for gain on short putts? Well, Number one is skill differences, which I mentioned. There's big skill differences in the three to 10 foot range. And number two is the number of those shots that you have per round. You just have a lot more of those short putts because they can be, you know, a first putt from five feet. They could be a second putt from five feet and I hope not, but a third putt from five feet. But you have a lot more in the three to 10 foot range than you do in the, you know, 
30 to 50 foot foot range. So it's skill differences and the number of, of strokes that I'd say, you know, work on your short putting primarily, but not to the exclusion of um, mid-length and, and longer putts. That's good. I'll, I'll take that with me today as well. But uh, so we, put, strokes gain putting has been around longer than, you know, some of the other statistics, strokes gain around the green, strokes gain approaching off the tee, and then overall strokes gain tee to green. So I think, I think even for myself uh, and most of the listeners, the putting is easier explained than kind of really fully understanding what the statistics mean from tee to green. Uh, just because you're on one, you're on a, you know, you're on a putting surface, and you know, you, you, we talked about factoring in uphill and downhill, and whatnot. But overall, you know, you're it's it's kind of the same factors when you're on the putting green. Whereas even moving backwards from your approach shot, there's a lot more factors to consider. Where you know, is one foot in the rough that much more damaging than ten feet in the rough versus behind a tree? So I don't know what the best way for you to explain it is. I don't know if it's to start from the tee or work backward from the green, but I'd like to understand what goes into uh, like a, from a strokes gain approach standpoint or or even off the tee, how much somebody's punished by a ball, you know, being one foot in the rough versus 10 feet or how you factor in trees, angles. And is there a way that the data fully captures that? Or at least the numbers that we look at from the PGA Tour perspective are is uh, are these kind of things factored in? Yeah, so I can maybe give you a, a couple of examples depending depending on your your time here. But let me give you an example of something that actually happened in 2016 at TPC Scottsdale. So you all seen the 16th hole and the you know the great uh, gallery and, and and stands and thousands of people around that. Well, in 2016, uh, three players played the hole: Brendan DeYoung. Uh, Brant Snedeker and Zach Blair, and they all birdied the hole. So same day, but they did it in different ways. So it turns out that the way they, you know, they set the tee in this hole, the average score in the hole was about three. All three of these players hit the green. They all sank their birdie putts. So they all gained a stroke on the field. They each had a green in regulation and they each took one putt. And so from the traditional stat viewpoint, they were, the performances were the same. But if you take a look at what happened when you have shot link data and you can see where every shot started and every shot finished what happened is that brendan DeYoung hit his tee shot to a foot brant snedeker hit his tee shot to eight feet and sunk the putt and zach blair hit a shot to 30 feet and sunk the putt and so now when you take a look at strokes gain you say well brendan DeYoung, he hit his approach shot he started three strokes away from the hole and he put it to a foot that's two strokes away from uh, sorry, that's one stroke away from the hole because everybody, you know, is going to sink this this one footer. So he gained a stroke on his approach shot, his tee shot, and then he was even with the field because he sunk a one foot putt. That's pretty understandable, I think. So his approach shot was so much better that all the credit for the one stroke gain on the field went to his approach shot. Uh, then Brand Snedeker, who hit it to eight feet, well, he started three strokes away from the hole on the tee. He hit it to eight feet where we saw that's one and a half strokes away from the hole. So he got one and a half strokes closer to the hole with one swing of the club. So he gained a half stroke on his tee shot and he gained another half stroke by sinking the putt. So it was sort of equally split between a really good tee shot and a really good putt. So it was a half stroke each for that. And then Zach Blair, who hit his tee shot to 30 feet, well, he was three strokes away from the hole in the tee. On the green at 30 feet, he's two strokes away from the hole. So he took one swing to get one stroke closer. So that doesn't gain anything on the field. He gained it all by sinking his 30-foot putt. 
So you have three different ways to make a birdie, and strokes gained sort of accurately shows that Brendan Young's tee shot deserved one uh, stroke credit, Grant Snedeker's tee shot deserved a half stroke credit, and Zach Blair's tee shot deserved none of the credit, and you know the rest went to to the putt. So that's an example where greens and regulation and putts doesn't tell you anything. You think about greens and regulation as a measure of ball striking. And here it doesn't distinguish between those those performances, but strokes gain tells you exactly what you what anybody can see that you you hit this 170 yard tee shot to a foot. That's a great shot. Everybody knows that. Uh, and strokes gain just sort of uh, quantifies that and, and adds it up across all these shots. So it's essentially applying the same the same thought process of it takes this amount of strokes. You know, when we look at putting, it takes you know two strokes to get down from 30 feet. Whereas, you know, if you go back to, and I don't know what the number is, if you go back to 130 yards, the average, might, it may be further than that, maybe 150 yards, 160 yards, the average tour pro will get it home in three strokes, essentially. So you're just extracting the thought process of, uh, of how many strokes it will take a player to get the ball in the hole from a particular spot. Exactly. And so if I had to give a, you know, a one sentence definition of strokes gained, it's progress to the hole measured in strokes. You think of not measured in yards or feet. It's progress to the hole measured in strokes. So if you start four strokes away from the hole on the tee on a par four, an average shot would put you somewhere three strokes away from the hole. But if you hit it long and straight in the fairway, you know, you bomb it 300 yards in the fairway and you're only 2.7 strokes away from the hole. Well, if you go from four strokes away to 2.7 strokes away, that's 0.3 strokes better than an average shot. An average shot goes from four to three. If you go from four to 2.7, you gain 0.3. You hit a, you know, an average length, you know, tee shot into the rough. If you go from four strokes away to 3.4 strokes away, then you've just uh, lost four tenths of a stroke. So strokes gained is just progress to the whole measured in, in strokes. All right, now let's say we're factoring in, like I, I, one guy is a foot into the rough, 175 away, and another guy, same distance from the hole, but is behind a tree. Is there, and he is, let's say, 20, 20 yards offline. Uh, does, the data, does the data allow you to kind of assess what it strokes, how many shots it will take a player to get from the hole the further offline they get from the fairway? Absolutely, and so what we, we take into account is how far are you away from the hole and what is the condition? Are you in the fairway? Are you in the first cut? Are you in the, in the rough? Are you behind a tree? Are you in the sand? Whatever. And so roughly speaking, the difference between equal length tee shots, one which ends up in the fairway and one which ends up in the rough is going to be a difference of about three tenths of a stroke. If you're then in, in the woods, it's going to be about a half to three quarters of a stroke because you've got to punch out and it depends on how far you can, you can advance the ball. If you put it into the water, well, that's about a one-stroke penalty if it's a, a lateral hazard. And if you hit it out of bounds, it's about a two-stroke penalty. So those are sort of huge differences. Hitting the fairway versus hitting in the rough is about a three-tenths of a stroke difference, whereas hitting the fairway versus putting a ball out of bounds is a two-stroke uh, penalty. Uh, and and that's what strokes gained uh, factors in. So. Absolutely, it it matters. You know how far offline you are, and 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 more importantly, are you uh, in the trees where you've got to chip out to to the fairway, or do you have a clear shot uh, to to the green? And that that matters. And so, if you've got to chip out, we call that 
that you're in the recovery condition. So most people think of, well, I'm in the fairway, I'm in the rough, I'm in the sand, but we add another category, which is you're in a recovery situation. And, and that sort of means that you're in the trees and you got to chip out, or it could mean that you're in rough that's really deep. And instead of, you know, you'd want to hit a five iron if you're in the fairway, but you have to take a wedge to hack out. Well, that also counts as a, as a recovery situation. How far, how far down the fairway, or let's say, you know, Rory McIlroy versus uh, throw out a, a middle average, average driver of the golf ball. I don't have a number in front of me, but um, how much further down the hole does Rory have to hit it where it's okay if he's in the rough, he's still gaining on uh, a, a, a average driver of the golf ball. Okay. So let me switch just a little bit and put Bubba Watson in there instead of Rory, even though mm-hmm. they're about the same. I just happened to know Bubba's uh, uh, strokes gained driving uh, stats. So one way to think about this distance accuracy trade-off is, is this. Bubba hits his drives about 20 yards longer than the tour average, and that's over all uh, par fours and fives, not just the two measured holes where they're more likely to hit driver. That includes other holes that might be a dog leg or sort of layup holes where, you know, most players are hitting hybrids or whatever. So across the season, Bubba Watson will average 20 yards longer relative to the field per drive. Each one of those drives will gain him about one tenth of a stroke relative to the field. So if you have you know, 14 tee shots on par fours and fives, each one 20 yards longer, gaining about a tenth of a stroke. He's 1.4 strokes up in a typical round based on his extra distance. And now you say, okay, yeah, but you hit it longer, you're probably not hitting as many fairways. And this is where I think the bomb and gouge uh, term is a little bit misleading because, you know, Bubba Watson a couple years ago was one of the, you know, least accurate drivers on the tour, but it may be a surprise. He missed about one more fairway per round than the field average. That was it. He wow. missed about one more fairway and he didn't hit any more into, into penalty situations. So each one of those missed fairways costs about three tenths of a stroke. So he misses one more fairway on average than, than the field. That costs him three tenths of a stroke. So he gains 1.4 from his distance. He loses 0.3 because he misses a fairway. So net he's up 1.1 strokes per round with taking distance and accuracy into account. So that's a huge advantage, but it's really hard to see on any individual shot because gaining a tenth, it doesn't sound like much. And people say, yeah, he hits it 20 yards further, but he just missed a five-foot putt, and it's the putt that matters. But no, if you gain a tenth of a stroke because you're 20 yards longer and you do that 14 times around, <laughs> yeah. that's, again, even even taking into account the extra missed fairway, that's 1.1 strokes gained from his, you know, his driving. And multiply that by four rounds, and now you're at four, four and a half strokes uh, advantage. And that applies, you know, pretty similarly to Rory and to Dustin Johnson as well. Hmm. From a, going all the way back to the T, I want to know when you start, let's say it's a par four. Um, do you start at a flat number 
four for the hole, or is there an average based like that average expect expected score based on the yardage of the hole, or you know, is it a is it a moving average like throughout the course of a tournament? Like, uh, you know, this is a four point four hole, so if you make a four, you gain four tenths of a stroke. I, I'm just kind of curious as to how the model works in terms of is it moving average or is it based on the distance from the tee to the hole? Well. You could you could implement this in different ways, but first, it's not based on the par. <laughs> right. So it uh, par is sort of sort of irrelevant. What you want to get at is the the field average on on each hole, and there's a couple different ways uh, that you could implement it in order to have this appear on websites and on mobile devices in in real time. But but the goal really is to have you know, if the stroke average on this par four is 3.8, use that. If it's 4.2, you wanna you wanna use that. Same thing on on par fours and fives. Uh, in reality, what what's done is the distance is taken into account, and then there's a field adjustment that happens at at the end of the round. So, to to give you an example, if um, if you ignored the, the scoring average on all the holes and you computed everybody's strokes gained relative to an average course and then you applied that to Harbortown where people are driving it 25 yards shorter, then everybody would look like they're losing strokes off the tee because you know they're hitting it 25 yards less than a typical tour pro would do at an average course. But what happens is we adjust everything to the field so the, what the field did that day then becomes zero. So nobody is then penalized for playing Harbor Town because they're all driving it it shorter. And that same adjustment to the field applies to approach shots and short game shots and to the greens. So that way, players are not rewarded or penalized because they're putting on flat greens where the make rate from eight per, from eight feet is fifty five percent instead of fifty percent. Or if it's you know putting at Augusta or putting on slopey greens or putting on bumpy greens where the make rate from eight feet might be 45%. What you do is you compute the strokes gained of the field relative to an average course benchmark, and then you just make a minor adjustment. And that adjustment turns out generally to be quite, quite minor. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to talk about, and we want to get it as accurate as possible, but it turns out uh, to be a really, really small adjustment in the, in the end. Hmm. Would you, from a, both a professional standpoint and for amateurs at home, uh, is there does the data support, let's say it's just a, a, a par five or a short par four, does playing back to a specific number um, benefit players both at, at both levels, or does getting as close to the green as possible tend to lead to the best results? So there's a sort of a, a general answer for a hole. If you don't tell me about the player and don't tell me about the hole, the data is crystal clear that closer is better than, than further. That uh, if there's no you know horrible trouble around the green and if you're not going to put it into the water or, or trees or whatever, that going for par fives and two, again, if you're, if you're not going to put it in, in trouble, we're just pushing it up closer to the green. You'll score better, and there, there's a lot of ways to to, uh, to to demonstrate that. One is that if you gave a PGA Tour pro uh, throughout the season the option on every par five to place the ball 
at, say, 80, 90, or 100 yards in the fairway and play the hole out from there, or take the average score on par fives of everybody uh, in a season, who would be better off? Taking the average score on a par five or giving the player the option to play every par five from their choice, 80, 90, or 100 yards in the fairway, who would be better off? I would, I would guess the average score. Absolutely, and by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the notion that you would always want to lay up to 80, 90, or 100 yards is, is just bogus. However, the answer is really more subtle than that. Every hole you've got you've to take into account how much trouble is there up near the green versus 70, 80, 90 yards away? What is the pin location and how much spin do I need to apply? So if you've got a choice between being 40 yards away and 80 yards away and the pin is cut close over, over a bunker and you need to hit it beyond the hole and spin it back, well, you might be better off at 80 yards to be able to do that than at 40 yards. Uh, and so there's definitely special situations and circumstances where you might prefer to be further rather than closer but as a general rule closer is 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 better yeah it's not to be applied universally but i I, i've i've started implementing that as well just when when the all those factors are considered if if it makes no difference from an angle standpoint why not to get to be 50 yards away versus 90 it's it's better to be 50 but almost no almost no laying up is is optimal (laughs) few questions here. We're taking up a lot of your time, but there's a couple more I want to get to. Um, you can answer as, as quickly or as, as detailed as you want on this one. What would you say is the most important skill to have in golf? Uh, approach shots from 150 yards. Uh, approach shots as, as a category of shots is, is rather large. That's shots starting outside of 100 yards, excluding tee shots on par fours and fives. So that's where uh, the better players distinguish themselves. And within that broad category, I'd say amateurs should focus on maybe 100 to 150 yards and, and low handicap and scratch golfers and pros from 150 to 200 yards. So I'm just sort of going uh, split to the, split the difference and say the most important skill is to uh, be great at approach shots from 150 yards. And one stat to sort of uh, quantify that a little bit uh, the pros leave half of their shots from 150 yards in the fairway within 23 feet of the hole and half outside of 23 feet. So that's a bigger number than most people think. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, 90 golfers leave it more than twice as far. Their uh, leave is about 56 feet. So half within 56 feet and half outside of 56 feet. That's a really big number. So getting that number down for, for amateurs is, is huge for scores. Hmm. I just learned something right there. Um, what would you say is the mi- biggest misconception around golf or like in, in your world of, of, uh, of an- analytics and, and whatnot? What is the biggest misconception? Uh, well, besides the, the importance of putting, which we could talk about some more, I'd say the mis- misconception is that pros are long and wild. And I'd say, no, they're long and straight. They are when you, when you hit it 300 yards and you're just a couple of degrees off that's awfully darn straight. Whereas amateurs, you know, hit the ball 200 and 225 and their dispersion is, you know, on a relative basis, much, much greater. So I'd say pros are not long and wild. They're long and straight. That's a big misconception. Uh, I think you and I are pretty much in alignment regarding this topic. Uh, and it, it may be, it may be too long for this late in the podcast, but what do you think of the way the official world golf rankings are structured and what are the biggest, <laughs> the biggest flaws in the rankings? 
So, you know, there's some work that you do that it's it's very interesting because the result is surprising and, and you've got to spend a lot of time convincing people that in fact the the analysis makes sense and this is why you get this counterintuitive result. The work that I did with uh, Dick Rendleman on the official world golf rankings surprised almost nobody and that was that the official world golf rankings are very biased against PGA the PGA Tour and PGA Tour pros and biased towards all the other uh, all the other tourists. So if you take two pros of equal skill and you have one of them play on regular PGA Tour events and another one playing on you know the Asian Tour, or the Japanese Tour, or some of the other Sunshine Tour, Australia Asian Tour, some of those other tours. The, the person playing the, the PGA Tour will get less world ranking points and will be further down in the rankings uh, by far compared to playing on uh, one of the other uh, not, not PGA Tour uh, tours. So that, that's and – it's, and it's really important. It's not so bad for the you know, top 10 or top 15 in the world where – they're playing a lot of the same. Those guys are playing in a lot of the same events. They're playing in the majors. They're playing in the WGCs, and then there's a few other tournaments. So, the official World Golf Rankings, I think, does does pretty well in the you know the top the top 20 or so. But when you get out at 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and and beyond, then it's it's really significant, and I think uh, hurts PGA Tour players. I've I've a, a hot topic of conversation on this podcast for quite some time has been Alex Noren and forgive me I had I didn't give you any preparation for this one but my case has been that he has been a, sort of the the example of that and that it, through playing the European Tour he shot up into the top ten in the world rankings. How do your metrics view somebody like Noren compared to his official world golf ranking? So I'm not sure where he's ranked in the world, but I have him ranked you know 31st. Uh, just on a strokes gain basis since January of 2017. So not exactly the two year. He's about 16th or 17th right now in the world. So that's, that's about the yeah. separation I would expect. I know he's a very talented player and I'm very impressed with what he's done on the PGA tour. Again, that's a topic for another day. I've taken quite a bit of abuse yep. for my stance on him, but, um, <laughs> are you, this may be, I don't know if you've ever been asked this question before, but what's the most consistent or maybe the most valid, valid criticism you hear regarding your analysis? Oh, uh, well, I think one of the, one of the criticisms is just that, uh, people don't understand it. Um, so, <laughs> um, I think most, most people, when they hear, you know, a one minute explanation, they, they get it. Most people have an intuitive sense of what a good shot and a bad shot is. I think a lot of people just, you know, haven't heard a, a one minute explanation. So I think the, the biggest criticism is, what what is this? I, I don't know what it what it means, and and that takes that takes a while uh, for it to sort of seep into the consciousness of the the general public. You mentioned you know you don't hear quite so much fairways, greens, and putts. Uh, I still hear it a lot on TV broadcasts, whereas you know PGA Tour radio they do a great job of uh, I think uh, highlighting the players' performance using using strokes gain, but uh, other other places are still, I think, stuck in the dark ages. Very last one, I promise, and I made it all the way to the end before asking a Ryder Cup question. But what does you, what do your models show in terms of who the favorite should be in uh, in France later this year? 
uh, in honesty, I haven't I haven't looked at that uh, recently. But um, you know, a a a quick a quick glance at uh, you know at what I have as the top ten or the top fifteen. Uh, they're mostly Americans, except for uh, John Rahm, Justin Rose, I guess Paul Casey. Ooh, so there's more than <laughs> more than I was thinking there, and Sergio. So I don't know. So that looks pretty even. Um, and then you get to Rory, and yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be good. I think I'll have. Yeah, I think I'll have to change. I was thinking about this, you know, close to a year ago, where it looked like the U.S. would would dominate, and now just a quick quick glance it looks uh, like it'll be exciting oh it's going to be a really good one i'm excited for it and it's it, both teams trending in a great direction so uh mark thank you so much for your time this was excellent i learned a lot and i'm uh, i'm positive that the listeners at home uh learned a lot as well so thank you so much for taking the time uh and uh best of luck to you and uh, all your future endeavors well thanks for having me on chris really a pleasure enjoyed it thanks mark Let's be the right club be the right club today yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.